Doc, it's my only hope. Marty, I'm sorry, but the only power source capable of generating 1.21 gigawatts of electricity is a bolt of lightning. What did you say? A bolt of lightning. Unfortunately, you never know when or where it's ever going to strike. We do now. This is it. This is the answer. It says here that a bolt of lightning is going to strike the clock tower precisely 10.04 p.m. next Saturday night. If we could somehow harness this lightning, channel it into the flux capacitor, it just might work. Next Saturday night, we're sending you back to the future. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. This is episode number 171, Back to the Future. That's right, kicking off 2020 with a huge movie. It's kind of weird that we're doing this a little out of order since we've already done an episode on Back to the Future 2 before. That's correct. We did do an audio commentary for Back to the Future Part 2 almost three years ago february 19th 2017 yeah that's weird to think about yeah we like doing audio commentaries but it's not exactly our a game it's not our real (laughs) in-depth look at a movie yeah and i felt like back to the future deserved a little bit more sure certainly iconic yes 2020 is the 35th anniversary i think all the movies are coming out on 4k ultra hd this year The interesting thing for me personally with Back to the Future is it's one of those movies that I can still remember the first time that I watched it. Like I can remember certain scenes like I have the memory of me watching those scenes for the first time. Certainly like Doc Brown getting shot with a machine gun. Yeah. Like I can remember that when I was a kid uh, just being like, holy shit, you're not really expecting this to be in this movie. It almost seems weirder now, like the time apart. And even when Marty's like first coming to and Lorraine is there. (laughs) in the room and the whole thing with like the calvin klein underwear like i I can distinctly remember seeing that scene for the first time i kind of have the opposite with this movie where i would almost compare it to how i felt about home alone when we talked about that where i don't even always remember what the beginning of this movie is because i've seen it starting at various points throughout it so many times yeah that whenever it starts with like all those clocks and stuff right and like the newscast talking about the stolen plutonium i'm always surprised that that's what the beginning of the movie is yeah (laughs) when marty's going to doc brown's little workshop or whatever yeah it has a lot of that similar feel that we talk about for family movies from the late 80s early 90s with all the gadgets and whatnot Oh, for sure yeah something that would be visually 
interesting to look at yet no one in the history of <laughs> right. the world has any of this stuff like why would you i'm not <laughs> buying this yeah <laughs> before we jump in let's remind our listeners to follow the show on twitter at greatest pod subscribe on apple Podcasts, Podbean, itunes whatever yep rate and review that's true so this is the yeah. first podcast of 2020 we we're coming back a little bit after a break this episode might not get posted on its usual day because we ended up recording it a little bit later. But yeah, although they're all possible days. Yeah. The initial plan was to have already come back by now with an episode of On the Record, our music-related version the, of our yeah, show. Yeah, much-applauded <laughs> music series. And it was an episode that I had been planning, I think I first told you, yeah. since maybe the late summer like this will be the next choice for me on this and we I, probably the, won't get to it till january the last time that we talked about it in person you were like all fired up about it yeah and we're i'm not gonna say what the album is because we still okay, might yeah, do it right that would probably be the next choice but got closer to recording it and i just felt like i was listening to it at nauseum like all the way up until your text <laughs> yeah when i decided that we're postponing the on the record stuff it's going on a little bit of a hiatus now we haven't done an episode since i yeah. think september anyway but you know it's okay sometimes there hasn't a been break. a huge demand for us to talk about music and it's hard no. to always get okay. us excited about it hard to figure out what the demand is for but i think <laughs> there's enough clamor out up. there for yeah our usual content now i will say nothing better in my life than getting a text message saying that we're not going to do something I mean, it's just not really to do with this show. Whenever you have to do something and and someone like lets you know that it's off, that is like such a rush of euphoria for me. Yeah, I think a lot of people can relate to that. Yeah. Myself included. Yeah, once I made that decision, I felt euphoria. (laughs) And I was making the decision. I was like, yeah, it'll just be easier not to do this right now. So we're back with the regular episodes. We're gearing up for our end of 2019 review (laughs) where out of all of the possible media outlets the podcasts magazines shows websites we are by far (laughs) the last ones to come out with our top 10 lists and we move at our own pace that'll they'll probably be released around oscar time which is coming up sooner than you would think yeah it's already a month away listening to tarantino on the rewatchables and he was referencing doing his best of the decade list and I, I was having a little feeling of regret that we've already done that <laughs> we burned we burned yeah. through that already <laughs> yeah well i think there's only really one maybe two movie maybe two movies from this year that would make my yeah. top 10 of the decade but sure you know, whatever it was something fun to do for and a you week, know and we've moved on already we'll definitely be doing this show by the end of the next decade oh so. yeah definitely <laughs> <laughs> okay so we're returning to Back to the Future, directed by Robert Zemeckis, written by Zemeckis with Bob Gale, yep. produced by Steven Spielberg. Right. I think his f- name is first uh, as the credits come. Presents. Yes. Yeah. Well, he was a commodity by this point. Absolutely. And Zemeckis had really only one hit prior to this, which was Romancing the Stone. Oh, yeah. Which is the reason why Back to the Future was able to get made, because... They had actually been pitching this movie around for a while, and it had gotten rejected several times. Spielberg not attached to it at that point. No, they had worked together before, but I think Zemeckis was a little worried that 
he was kind of going to sour that relationship by not delivering a hit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because I think Spielberg, I could be wrong on this, I think Spielberg produced his first movie, I Want to Hold Your Hand. Okay. Which was not really a hit. And then Zemeckis did like Used Cars, which is a great movie, and I like it a lot, starring Kurt Russell, I think it was 1980-ish. Yeah. But that movie was not a hit either. So really he was on his way to selling Used Cars. <laughs> yeah, things weren't working out. Then he gets onto the Romancing the Stone thing. That's a huge hit. Now they can pitch this movie that they've had. Is it the best title ever? I think so. It I, really works. It's a great title, and it's funny that the head of Universal Pictures, once the movie moves over to U- Universal, because it was originally with Columbia, the head of Universal Pictures, Sid Sheinberg, wanted to change the title to Spaceman from Pluto. Wow, that would have been horrible. There's yeah. a lot of, I guess, directions that this movie could have gone that would have made it so much worse than it is. Uh, Eric Stoltz comes to mind. Well, yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. But the whole thing with, with Scheinberg was Zemeckis is not, doesn't really have that much power at this point. He doesn't really know what to do. And so he goes to Spielberg and asks him. And Spielberg writes a memo to Scheinberg basically congratulating Scheinberg on such a funny joke and how, how much they all <laughs> laughed. And Scheinberg's pride kind of wow. made him story. not admit that, the, that it wasn't a joke. Wow. <laughs> That's and so awesome. it's stuck with Back to the Future, which is a great title. Yes. And also and also just like a great reminder that like studio notes yeah. aren't always necessary. To be fair, I've often thought about that too, because we always hear the horror stories of studio interference, studio notes, studio when to make changes, studio cuts, whatever. But we only ever hear the disaster. Well, that's true, yeah. I'm I have sure. a feeling like there are plenty of times where those studio notes sometimes save the movies but you I never hear that. that i'm sure that that does happen as well yeah <laughs> there's no there's no studio executives doing audio commentaries on these movies right. being like here's yeah. the parts where i fix this piece of shit all right <laughs> especially like some of these directors that really like to go on and on and just have like a million meaningless scenes i'm sure there's been some times where those movies have been trimmed at the request of the studio for the better sure yeah I also think that Back to the Future might be the most effective presentation of time travel, at least in like the mainstream popular movies, like the big budget movies, the summer blockbuster type movies. Anything to do with time travel, I think that their version of it really holds up well. Yeah, I think time travel could be tricky when when plots hinge around it. I think that they do a really good job of setting up their parameters their rules and then operating within them there's just enough science in it where you can kind of be like all right yeah it's a flux capacitor yeah and but there's no explanation because further explaining stuff like that just ruins the illusion i actually i and and, you know they they go as far as to include plutonium and there's terrorists in the movie so like (laughs) there is this like element of reality to what they're doing what i think is actually the worst for anything related to the actual technology is at the end of the movie when he's putting like garbage banana peels and beer into the car for fuel. Yeah, well, it's like the the car has been changed at that yeah. point and it can fly and all this shit. Right. Yeah, it's uh, a little bit of a, a yeah. reach. I mean, listen, obviously the movie is silly, but I just think that you've gone from two completely different ends of the spectrum at that point. You're going from <laughs> stealing plutonium, having... A nuclear element to it to garbage is basically a yeah, huge it's, element. Yeah, it now in runs the on vehicle. fusion. Yeah. 
I think by that point the movie has succeeded so well that it's just kind of a detail that I've never really sure. thought okay. about or I'm cared okay about. It. Yeah, <laughs> because at that point you're literally ninety nine point nine percent of the way through right. this thing. Yeah. It's it's kind of hard think, to uh, throw one, it away at that point. And I love this movie, and I certainly love the second one. It, it sort of falls off for me a little bit in the third one, but interestingly, just, I think the reviews for the third one may have been better than the second one wow. at the time. I don't know. The out. the whole uh, Western element to it just feels like a departure. You do get Mary Steenburgen, though. That's true, and I do like her. <laughs> I actually think she's kind of a babe. I think Back to the Future Part 3 is fine, except for the fact that it doesn't really fit with the other two. Right. Because the first two movies are very much about... It's like one continuous ride. Well, it's, they're very much focused on the salvation of the McFly family. The McFly's from the past, meaning Marty's parents, and sort of changing the fortunes of the family, and then Marty's future kids in the second, and fixing that whole situation. It's all very tied in with a specific yeah. theme. And actually, then the third one is like, let's go rescue Doc. Yeah, it has right, nothing really yes. to do with anything from the first two. I actually think there's a lot of Inception, mindfuck, potential moments in this Back to the Future series. Oh, yeah. And I think when it toys with the ideas of paradoxes and stuff, it's mostly for comedic effect. And I think it's just a laugh. Sure. And to be clever. There's not really much wrestling with the ramifications of these <laughs> right. things. Because there's one key moment in Back to the Future, the the original, that gets discussed a lot for its potential meaning. And, like, some people kind of think that it, it, it's problematic under, like, today's microscope. Whereas okay. the rational way of thinking about it is it's just supposed to be funny. It's just a joke. And it's actually the scene that made me want to do this movie for the show because I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos. Wow. And I watched this Very exciting things happening here. 1995 performance for the rock and roll hall of fame of chuck berry oh yeah with bruce springsteen and the east street band playing johnny be good that's awesome and yeah when we get to that scene we'll maybe get into a little bit it's not like it's some big controversial thing but i have seen people or heard people discuss this and say that i think i know where this is heading yeah <laughs> something that never would have crossed my mind before but yeah now it's so predictable <laughs> Anyway, Back to the Future, $19 million budget made $389.1 wow. million, which under inflation is basically about a billion-dollar movie. Yeah, holy shit. $19 million for 1985 looks really good. There's some effects that jump out now, sure, but like the overall look of everything, I love the town, you know? Yeah. It certainly looks better than a lot of stuff that I saw in the mid-'80s. Certainly not at the time since I wasn't born yet, but... <laughs> Yeah, I think it does a good job of picking its moments and never going for things that wouldn't have worked under that budget. Yeah. It doesn't overextend itself in the special effects areas. There's and a I couple of like, moments that seem a little hokey under today's eyes of like what you're used sure, to seeing. Like the part absolutely. where he first makes the, the car travel with the dog in it and those like streaks of fire basically go between their legs. Yeah, which is kind right. of an iconic moment. But you I mean it it's it, so obviously yes. like imposed over right. different shots and stuff but you know it's not it's nothing like too major no. and th other than the maybe the makeup is a little cheesy at times that's true the makeup doesn't <laughs> look great although that to me that adds to the movie's charm now well that's the thing i was actually thinking to myself is it just meant to be a joke that doc brown looks exactly the same 30 years apart the only difference they did is like 
put some weird neck lines on him. Yeah. For older Doc Brown. But it's just like funny that he looks like the exact same dude 30 years apart. Columbia had the rights to this at one point. They wanted to remake, well, remake isn't even the right word, but they had this idea for this romantic comedy modern take on elements of the plot from Double Indemnity. Oh, okay. Which Universal owned the rights to. They felt like it was too similar. It's a movie called Big Trouble. It came out in the 80s. I kind of forget who's in it now. I looked at it. Is that with Kurt Russell in it? Or is that Big Trouble in Little China? Yeah, that's a different movie. Gotcha. So Columbia ends up trading the rights to Back to the Future for this Big Trouble movie, which I don't know if if you're keeping score at home, but Big Trouble not on the same level (laughs) as Back to the Future. (laughs) Columbia might have lost that deal. And then... After it ends up at Universal, they cast Eric Stoltz in the lead role. This is yeah. pretty well known amongst most people now. Well, yeah, years ago they actually released a bunch of the footage, right, for like a special release of Back to the Future. I don't know. I think maybe they, it just became available online. I don't no, maybe know if that's they it. actually officially released it. I've never seen it, and I don't really care to. Yeah, I haven't either. I like Eric Stoltz. He Me too. Evidently, was not right for the part. He was not really. Which you can. approaching this movie as like a comedy he was taking it kind of like very seriously and not like he didn't have that same like comedic approach that michael j fox has and i will say michael j fox does a great job of being funny but also marty seems like a cool dude i can't picture the part for him yeah but he was tied up with what what was his show family ties (laughs) yeah and so he couldn't really get available they cast stoltz they shoot for a couple of weeks with stoltz it's clear that he's not really clicking with the material. He's kind of confused by Zemeckis's direction, even. Yeah. They eventually just make the change, and it, it works out because in 1985, Michael J. Fox essentially was Marty McFly. He really wasn't even playing a character. Right. He was into the same stuff like skateboarding and playing, playing guitar. guitar and had the same sense of humor. I mean, it, it was basically like an extension of himself, whereas... Stoltz was like very, I think, from what it sounds he like, feels like he'd be it very seems like flat he was very like in his he- own head with yeah. the performance. Like he wasn't getting the humor of it, the lightness of it. I don't the know material. if he has the right like charisma for it. And again, Stoltz has been in a bunch of stuff where I think he's like right for it. But you, you just have yeah, a hard time seeing that him fit this role. Yeah, I mean, I watched recently some kind of wonderful, which oddly enough has Leah Thompson in it as well. Wow. And how is she looking in it? unbelievable (laughs) yeah Leah Thompson is just like so great yeah that movie he's playing essentially the same age as Marty I think it was a few years after Back to the Future not that Some Kind of Wonderful is really like a comedy although John Hughes did write it it's more like an angsty teen drama but he's very serious in it there's not really a lot of humor in his character and that's kind of what I was imagining his take on Marty McFly would be and it's really just not right for the movie. So they replace him with Michael J. Fox. Everything kind of comes together. Spielberg in the mix. They choose 1955 for a couple of different reasons, but that yeah, pretty well, much works perfectly for the story because it's the birth of rock and roll and also yeah. suburban expansion. So they can kind of use those empty fields as like the canvas for what will be the future suburbs. For where sure. Marty lives and the mall is. And yeah, all that stuff. it's a fun juxtaposition with the Twin Pines Mall and what that was previously, like farmland, basically. 
Yeah, it was like named after that guy's farm where I don't even really get what he was doing, but he was like cloning. I also enjoy that Ronald Reagan is the president in the 80s. And then when you go back to the 50s, his movie's out. Yeah. Originally, they wanted to do an ending that involved a Nevada weapons test for a nuclear device. Oh, wow. It was deemed to be too expensive. So they switch it to this clock tower finale with the lightning strike, which, of course, again, you kind of accidentally fall into the perfect. <laughs> Very plan fortunate B. that the newspaper was covering a story on this 30 <laughs> years later. <laughs> well, I mean, once they make the decision, they got to plant the seed. Right. <laughs> this is the kind of shit, though, that just works so effectively for like younger audiences because it's oh, just, yeah. you're like, wow, this all, you know, it's like it, the exact. He goes back to the exact time period where this thing happens. It's not like six months later or six years later. It's like, no, the lightning strike happened on the night that his parents first met and fell in love. Yes, that is fortunate. (laughs) I think we were talking about this a little bit off mic before we started. The aging and de-aging of Crispin Glover and Leah Thompson. It's not quite the Irishman. uh, Biff and all this stuff. It was funny watching this now a couple of times in preparation for this, just remembering how dumb you are as a kid and how gullible. Yeah. It took me forever to understand that, like, Crispin Glover is not, like, 30 years older than Michael J. Fox. I know. That they were actually, like, (laughs) both young contemporary actors. I I was 100% buying that Crispin Glover could be his dad. Yeah. Even though you see them young and they look normal, and when they're old, they don't look normal at all. But the idea of them putting makeup on and stuff is just too much. Yeah. Years later, I would see Charlie's Angels in the theater and think to myself, shouldn't he be older? (laughs) This is what made me think of this originally was whenever I saw Hot Tub Time Machine. Yeah. yeah. And you're just like, well. Another great time travel movie. (laughs) Yeah. Which I I guess is probably the point of putting him in the movie. Sure. But I'm never like able to understand that he's not 30 years older than he is. Yeah, I know. It's hard to come to terms with, really. And when you're like, well, how do you explain why they look young in the same movie? That's where you come in and you're like, well, I'm an idiot. I, I, know. I couldn't explain it and yet could not figure any of this yeah. out. <laughs> I know. even, But the whole thing with Doc Brown, like even as a kid when I would watch this, it basically, as a kid, it would feel to me like Marty McFly went back in time, but Doc Brown is the same Doc Brown. Yes. <laughs> That's what it feels like. Yeah. Christopher Lloyd was born in like 1938. Wow. So, I mean, yeah, he would not have been that old in 1955, but it's kind of hard to like wrap your mind around the fact that like he, How do you... he would have been alive and have me- memories from that year. Yeah. <laughs> that is so weird. old. Right. <laughs> Big year for Christopher Lloyd because I think this came out the same year as Clue. Oh, wow. Yeah. So. Okay. <laughs> So the movie opens with the shot of all those clocks and all the gadgets and inventions inside Doc Brown's laboratory. I am kind of mystified by Doc Brown's like background. It's like, how do you get to here? They do introduce the fact that he he has like family money. Yes. That's the only explanation. Yeah. (laughs) I think one of the things they struggled with, and honestly, I don't know if they even really succeeded, is explaining the nature of the relationship I agree. between Marty this, and Doc. This has forever been like a mystery to me. 
Doc is just like, like grooming Marty. I'm like, it, did Marty like start having to volunteer here after school because he was involved in like he's on probation or something? Where does this come from? It's certainly a relationship that you couldn't present in a movie today without more explanation. Yeah. Because it's too weird. There's no scenario. Back in the 80s, children respected their elders. There's no scenario where you would have like however old Doc is supposed to be. I'm guessing like at least 55 based on what his age is in it 1955. Doesn't really feel like Marty's that much into being an academic. Yeah, the, well, I mean, there's just no way you could present him being friends with a high schooler. There's just <laughs> it would never happen. Is that what we're supposed to take it that they're friends? That's the nature of their relationship? Yes. Okay. What else would it be? I don't know. <laughs> there's no other explanation. Yeah. It's 1985 in the fictional town of Hill Valley, California. There's a mention of plutonium theft on the news, planting the seed already. Yeah. If you were Marty's parents, I mean, what would you think about this? Like well, this we whole get a pretty good look at his parents. I mean, yeah. They don't seem like they're really holding it together. Yeah, there's a lot of depression going on. Undiagnosed, you know. <laughs> Alcoholism. Personality disorders. Doc needs Marty to pick up some equipment for an experiment that night he wants them to meet him at the twin pines mall at like yeah. one in the morning or something looks like a pretty cool mall is it supposed to be like a friday i don't know the <laughs> place is cleared out so well i mean he goes to school that day yeah yeah. and then like at one of that in the morning that night he's going to the mall to meet doc yeah but if there's like a movie theater at that mall there could still have been some people letting out not in you the know? 80s no i like that th- it's pretty cool opening Musical cue kicks in with The Power of Love by Huey Lewis. Oh, yeah, that's right. Pretty awesome song for a movie. I guess this all stems from Huey Lewis suing the people that put out the Ghostbusters song because Ah. they asked to use, I don't know if they asked to use I Want a New Drug or they just asked him to do a song for Ghostbusters and then they just basically copied I Want a New Drug for the Ghostbusters song. Okay. Huey Lewis won a lawsuit. And then almost as in like response, then went ahead and did a movie song, a different one for Back to the Future, sort of like a competing science fiction project that came out like what, like a year or two later. Sure. Targeted to similar demographics. Sure. Yeah. It's a great song, though. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's like one of the best Huey Lewis songs. Yeah, it is a rocker. We meet Jennifer, played by Claudia Wells. Now, if you listen to our audio commentary on part two, you'll know that. Yeah. Claudia was replaced with Elizabeth Shue, the reason being that her mother got cancer or something like that, and she didn't want to do the movie, so she to go home and take care of her mom or something. I'm a pretty big Elizabeth Shue fan. I think Claudia was a little bit better for Jennifer. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to say one's better than the other, but I definitely <laughs> liked Claudia Wells. I wish yeah. that she would have had like a bigger career. It seems like... That whole incident, unfortunately, derailed whatever momentum she had going. I was telling you before the show, but I did, after finishing Back to the Future, uh, I did rewatch the beginning of Back to the Future 2 just to see how they recreated that exact scene again (laughs) with a different actress. The one thing that jumps out at me, though, for sure, is that the high school in Hill Valley is a fucking dump. It yeah. looks so shitty. Well, even Marty comments on that when he's 30 years back. He's like, wow, this school was nice at one point. Yeah. I Town think is kind w- of a dump. When he gets back to the 80s. Well, yeah, they went a little overboard, I think, with I, like, at how first shitty I was everything like, is in at, the 80s. It was almost disorienting for me for a second because when he first gets back to 1985, I'm like, this is like Biff World. <laughs> like, it feels <laughs> like dumpy. Yeah. 
even before any time travel happens and you see the sign for what was that called like lion estates there's yeah. like spray paint and shit all over it it's like how bad just people an were area trash yeah i mean it's just graffiti it's like santa cruz shenanigans. and lost boys yeah <laughs> <laughs> everyone's just wearing like leather jackets with like one ear pierced <laughs> with a cross in it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> super cool in the high school we meet strickland the principal another guy who essentially looks the same 30 years yeah. different <laughs> out of all of the scenes in this movie and there are definitely some big swings for sure it goes for a lot there's some broad moments that mostly all work including even like the menorah scene which is absurd but it's funny <laughs> okay. this yeah. whole audition scene is terrible and it, it feels like it's from another movie i don't like it i don't like that huey lewis himself is the guy like judging it which just is distracting i feel like it takes a little too long to get to the scene at the Twin Pines Mall. I, I think does. there's, yeah, there's some. I don't some think stuff the whole thing of him. Like, I, I get that they're setting up him going crazy, right? The, the guitar thing, yes, yeah, so our big scene. I don't think that you even need it though, or you could have at least trimmed it down, and certainly not had Huey Lewis be the guy, yeah, talking. Because for me, that's distracting. You're just like that. It feels like stunt casting, which people today may disagree with me. In 1985, Huey Lewis was a huge fucking star. <laughs> Everybody knew who he was. That's right. It was distracting, trust me. Although I didn't see this movie in 1985, but trust me. <laughs> <laughs> see, you say you have a very vivid memory of seeing the movie for the first time. This is definitely one of those movies that just feels like I've always seen it. I think I don't remember. Y- the you want to know why? Because I-, I don't think I ever really owned this movie growing up. So it's one of those ones that the time I did watch it, it really stuck out. Because I don't think I I watched it again for years following. For me, it was just a cable movie for a long time. Yeah, that's true. It's had a lot of life on cable over the years. It has, that's true. As we kind of alluded to earlier, they plant the seed for saving the clock tower. It's the 30th anniversary of the lightning strike. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I'd be supporting saving the clock tower if we never bothered fixing it. That's a good point. It's like, what, why are we? What are we saving it for? <laughs> Who cares? Well, historic preservation. Now, the Biff George McFly relationship. Biff brings George's car back destroyed. Doesn't yeah. really seem too concerned with fixing it or apologizing <laughs> for destroying it. This relationship between the two of them is so over the top and kind of cringy. Thinking that these are like adults and stuff who yeah. presumably have kids. Pretty wild. <laughs> For Biff to kind of carry this on well into adulthood, <laughs> yeah, and where George, he's like the fucking having pussy George that do his is. reports yeah. and stuff, just like we'll learn that he has George do his homework in eighteen fifty five. Yeah, it's you really do wonder if there was like some weird cuckolding situation going on. <laughs> I, I didn't wonder that. You but... just straight up knew it. <laughs> I just figured that they had the weird sexual relationship between uh, the two. Of hey, them. listen, that's a possibility. It does take a long time to get to the mall, to get to the time travel. The movie's a little under two hours. You're kind of surprised by how long it takes to get to get to 1955 in the first place. But this is all done, I think, to set up a version of the McFly family to want to save, I guess. Even yeah. though you're not entirely sure that that's the point of what's happening because you're really just like, well, he got sent back to 1955. How's he going to get back? to 1985 he doesn't have any plutonium etc right but it gives us this 
window into this world where George is still bullied despite the fact that he's an adult. Lorraine is like depressed, alcoholic, overweight. Oh boy. Just not Relatable. happy at all. Yeah. And the kids are kind of other than Marty, who seems like the coolest kid in school, like <laughs> Ferris Bueller, and yeah. Zach Morris. The other two siblings seem like complete losers too. Sure, yeah. And also like the uncle being in jail and all that stuff. Just everything is a mess for the McFly family. Yeah, Even though I guess there are, the uncle wouldn't be a McFly, but whatever. Well, that's true. So how do we change the fate of this family? And then Marty seemingly accidentally does all of these things to set yeah, that Yeah, because I mean, I, his goal is just to get back. And the other missions that come to be are only because he's fucked things up and he's got to set it right. Yeah, which inadvertently has the effect of changing the future, but in a positive way, which is also something you never see. Yeah, right. <laughs> the original idea for the movie came from two things originally it was i think robert zemeckis looking in his dad's high school yearbook and finding out that his dad was the class president of his year in school what a loser zemeckis being like i didn't even know the class president in my school yeah would i have been friends with my dad in high school and thinking coming at it from that point of view and then also as they were like brainstorming this idea coming up with the concept of like a mother that says that when she was in high school she didn't do like any of this stuff and then finding out like the truth is <laughs> wild yeah <laughs> they're like yeah that'll be funny <laughs> and then it just you know it went from there yeah well i feel like they could have not even had adult biff in the mix at all and have crispin glover be like way more just like a normal dad because i feel like then the dynamics not already established when he goes back and like you know sees every- i guess they want to keep biff involved in every era yeah biff is definitely there for some comedic relief to be funny but i was thinking if you went back in time and was like contemporary of your dad's and he's this fucking george like blubbering wimp I mean, how much respect are you losing for your dad? From their perspective, they probably thought it was more interesting to have something be changed. Whereas if he had already changed, then it kind of lessens the impact of what's happening. Because you're like, well, he got over it. He got better. Right. This is he not figured really it out, that big which is probably like which is how probably how what happens for most in real life. People. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know. I I think it's saying that sometimes like the choices you make and the way you are could impact the type of person you would be. Normally, yeah. you wouldn't be bullied by the same exact person, but <laughs> you know, if you're setting up a life for yourself of letting all of this shit happen to you and not standing up for yourself, you could potentially be that type of person as an adult. Yeah. Obviously, they have to take it to 11 they got to crank it and amplify oh, sure. it so that you get the whole point it can't really be that subtle in a movie like this but yeah it is weird because if you had this opportunity and went back and saw your dad just being a complete embarrassment and your mom just being like oh my, it's like mom get it together <laughs> like um put some clothes yeah, on seriously Jesus. how much parking do you do well that is what happens. I mean, I know. he's blown away because yeah. it, it isn't just that George is bullied. I mean, we're going to find out what I'm he was I'm not saying actually... imagine if that was the movie. I'm saying imagine <laughs> if that was you. Oh, believe me, I have. Yeah. <laughs> You've imagined it was you, but Leah Thompson was your mom. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, there'll probably be plenty of jokes about that yeah. coming up. <laughs> Conveniently, we have the story told now by the rain, explaining how they met, explaining right. when they fell in love, explaining the whole thing. That way, three martinis. The deep, audience but... gets it, so the audience hears 
the edited fairy tale version of this story. Yeah, just delusional at this point. But almost immediately, once we get back to 1955, we'll learn the truth of what George was like really doing up in the tree. Oh boy, yeah. <laughs> that is dark. Which I have a lot of questions about what's happening in, in that moment, but we'll get to that. So Marty meets Doc at the mall parking lot at 1.16 a.m. on October 26, 1985. And this is, for me now, where like the movie gets going and I think is like pretty much consistently good up through the end from here. Doc tells Marty that he's built a time machine from a modified DeLorean powered by plutonium stolen from Libyan terrorists. The DeLorean kind of works on a couple of different levels here because it's an odd-looking car with the the doors that go up on the sides. It's fucking it's cool. Very metallic looking. Yeah. And so it makes sense then when he goes to the past that those people wouldn't understand what they're looking at. Because if it looked too much like a car, I guess, like if it was just a regular car, they would kind of, even if it looked very modern, like they'd probably figure it out. But it's got the doors that open from the side and everything, and so it could definitely be mistaken for a UFO. Doc does a test with Einstein the dog. A lot of faith here from Marty. That this is going to work. Because they just stay in there. Yeah. We just not even know what's happening. <laughs> All of a sudden... He- I was thinking a lot of faith from fucking Doc. I guess he believes in his experiments or whatever, but I, I kind of feel like Einstein's life is very much on the line here. Their lives are on the well, line. Well, that's true, yeah. They just stand there while the thing's coming at them at 88 miles an hour, and he's like, yeah, it's definitely going to disappear and jump in time. It's not going to yeah. hit us. <laughs> but I'm even saying, like, assuming that the, the time travel is going to work, it just feels like a lot of stakes for poor... Einstein here. Yeah, it's just well, like, in the 80s, you could get away with it. Okay, yeah. You couldn't. Not a lot of like Sarah McLaughlin now. commercials at that point. <laughs> so Doc's invented something called the flux capacitor, which enables time travel. He's messing around, showing Marty different things. He's showing him how it works, kind of, and he puts the date in 11 5, 1955. And then Doc is about to go to the future. He's like, I'm going to go do this shit. You know that I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to come back. and Yeah, Marty's documenting it on video camera yeah and the whole point i guess is this is what i'm doing i'm about to go oh wait i forgot the plutonium because they, they even insert that line in there so you're like right if you go somewhere right. you're gonna yes. need the plutonium to get back so he's about to grab the other plutonium well, yeah. he forgets it at first or he's about to forget it yeah and then all of a sudden the terrorists who he ripped off, who he said he was going to build a bomb for, show up. Which I love that he's like, yeah, I told him I would build a bomb. I got plutonium from them. And then I built them a, a faulty bomb made of like uh, pinball parts. Yes. It's like, you never thought that there might be some repercussions for that decision? Well, he's like, they found me. I don't know how, but yeah. they found me. Don't you lose all those tapes now? There we go. Oh, oh. I don't know if they got my luggage. I mean, who knows if they got cotton underwear in the future. Oh, I'm allergic to all synthetics. The future? That's where you're going. That's right. 25 years into the future. I've always dreamed of seeing the future, looking beyond my ears, seeing the progress of mankind. Why not? I'll also be able to see who wins the next 25 World Series. Uh, Doc. Huh? Uh, look me up when you get there. Indeed, I will. Roll them. I, Dr. Emmett Brown, am about to embark on an historic journey. 
What am I thinking of? I almost forgot to bring extra plutonium. How did I ever expect to get back? One pellet, one trip. I must be out of my mind. What is it, Arnie? Oh, my God. They found me. I don't know how, but they found me. Run for it, Marty! Who? Who? Who do you think? The Libyans! They gunned down Doc in a pretty traumatic scene I know. for a PG movie. That's the thing. I That so stuck with me as a kid. I I thought that was like pretty violent. Yeah, and again, because as a kid, you're an idiot. Right. It still was like hard to wrap your mind around that he's like not dead at the end of the movie. Yeah, I know. But I mean, it was like Sonny Corleone in the toll booth. I mean, how much he's shot up. <laughs> Marty escapes in the DeLorean, driving around the parking lot, inadvertently activating the time machine in the process by going 88 miles an hour. It's weird, though, because they do so much establishing of the 88 miles an hour thing. And he's all of a sudden just like, let's see if these boys can hit 90. Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess it's like when there's guns in play and you just saw your elderly best friend murdered. Plus, I mean, um, think about you know, when you see something work for the first time, you don't understand how it works. Sure. So was there a button you needed to push when you hit 88? I the don't know. You would probably assume there was more to it. And I then do all of a sudden like, you just, you know, you're in the past. Okay, we have some mystery behind the flux capacitor or whatever that allows for... We don't need to explain the technology much. There's this plutonium 88 miles an hour boom but i do like that they have little gauges where you're manually inputting a time to go to <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and you put like, the birth of christ yeah. <laughs> zero, december zero, zero. 25th zeros. <laughs> that is funny and so here we're off this is it marty ends up on a farm in 1955 he's not really sure what the fuck is happening one second he's in this mall parking lot about to crash through like a photo hut and then Wham, he's in a field crashing into a barn. The family that lives in this farmhouse comes out. Now, did you recognize the farmer? The I dad? did. I, I don't know who it is. He's. The <laughs> I, I recognize him. He's the old guy at the beginning of Silent Night, Deadly Night. Oh, wow. That doesn't talk. Holy shit, yes it is. <laughs> and That's then crazy. talks to the little kid to warn him. I was trying to picture what it was, and I for some reason I was thinking it was from a horror movie. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. Who would have thought that guy would have been showing up? I know. In Back a to year the after. Yeah, wow. <laughs> the mall's gone. Lion Estates yet to be built, but the, the sign is there. And basically the premise of the movie is that Marty is stuck in the past with no plutonium. How is he going to get back to 1985? So a bunch of different stuff happens. I mean, he goes to town. He encounters young versions of his father, George, and yeah. Biff. Pretty clear things, not much different back in 1955. He learns that Biff has bullied his father since high school. Yeah, you would think that this would have ended in like a suicide for George McFly. <laughs> How does one go on this well, long with this? He, look who he landed, though. I mean, well, that's see true. what fucking Lorraine looked like. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. Back in 1980. That gets you by a couple years, but you're just going on day in, day out with this guy fucking making you do his homework, making you do his reports at work. Mm-hmm. I mean, what an existence. Give me, give me a tab. Tab? I can't give you a tab unless you order something. All right, give me a Pepsi free. You want a Pepsi, pal? You're going to pay for it. Look, just give me something without any sugar in it, okay? Something without sugar.
Hey, McFly. What do you think you're doing? Piff. Hey, I'm talking to you, McFly, you Irish bug. Oh, hey, Biff. Hey, guys, how are you doing? Yeah, you got my homework finished, McFly? Uh, well, actually, I figured since it wasn't due till Monday. Hello? Hello? Anybody home? Hey, think, McFly. Think. I gotta have time to recopy it. You realize what would happen if I hand in my homework and your handwriting? I'll get kicked out of school. You wouldn't want that to happen, would you? Would you? Well, now, of course not, no, Biff. I wouldn't no. want that to happen. What are you looking at, butthead? Hey, Biff, get over this guy's life preserver. Dork thinks he's gonna drown. Yeah. So, uh, how about my homework, McFly? Uh, okay, Biff. Well, I'll, uh, I'll finish that on up tonight, and then I'll, uh, bring it over first thing tomorrow morning. Okay, not too early. I sleep in Sundays. Oh, mm -hmm. McFly, your shoes are tied. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> don't be so gullible, McFly. Okay. I don't want to see you in here okay. again. Okay. <laughs> All right, bye-bye. <laughs> What? You're George McFly. Yeah, who are you? Say, what do you let those boys push you around like that for? Well, they're bigger than me. Stand tall, boy. Have some respect for yourself. Don't you know if you let people walk over you now, they'll be walking over you for the rest of your life. Look at me. You think I'm going to spend the rest of my life in this slop house? Watch it, Goldie. No, sir. I'm going to make something of myself. I'm going to night school. And one day, I'm going to be somebody. That's right. He's going to be mayor. Yeah, I'm going to... Mayor. Now that's a good idea. I could run for mayor. A colored mayor, that'll be the day. You wait and see, Mr. Carruthers. I will be mayor. I'll be the most powerful man in Hill Valley, and I'm gonna clean up this town. Good. You can start by sweeping the floor. Mayor Goldie Wilson. Like the sound of that. Pretty quickly, Marty becomes entangled in the lives of George and Biff and eventually Lorraine as well and accidentally starts causing changes that will have ripple effects that extend into the future. Well, it's really when his dad gets up in that tree that everything gets thrown off, right? This is actually hilarious, the whole setup for this. So they, he basically watches this encounter with Biff and Biff's friends, including Billy Zane as one of the friends. Oh, that's right. And they're bullying George. George kind of placates them by saying he's going to get them the homework by the next morning, whatever. They go off, and he talks to George briefly, but George is kind of like ignoring him because he doesn't know who he is. Then they get entangled with Goldie, the future mayor. That's who's true. Like yeah. Working at this diner. And as Marty... But this is already like the first thing where you start to think about, well, did this always happen? Because now this is the seed being planted for goldie to become the mayor right yeah i think that you can take it to be like well it it eventually came to him later but yeah marty's just giving him the idea earlier but yeah i mean it messes around with that kind of thing i mean it gets into the whole grandfather paradox thing of time travel right. you know the whole thing of like if you went back in time and killed your grandfather before he impregnated your grandmother thus denying the existence of one of your parents like it's a paradox then because yes 
you've created this like whole this like loop of things where you know you only exist because of something that happened but then you go back and you know the whole thing so there's a lot of like messing with different stuff like that in this movie but that it that's never what the movie's about thank god because most time (laughs) travel movies go off the rails unless you really have your science nailed down tight infinite thing yeah i think it's mostly just for laughs throughout the whole movie of just like isn't that funny kind of stuff it's never supposed to be super serious as he's distracted by this goldie guy george gets up and leaves so like marty doesn't have a chance george not as interested in that conversation the funny part to me here is the urgency with which george leaves the diner well because it makes you think that he's headed somewhere important like yeah. a specific thing that he's got to go do it turns he out just, it's like, important rushes right out of yeah. this diner <laughs> and by the time marty catches up with him george has like climbed a tree and he's like peeping on some woman changing clothes again just a horrible reaction for a kid to see a young version of his father i mean I, marty disgusted almost dad was a peeping tom <laughs> i mean how do you okay who is he spying on here when I was younger, I thought it was Lorraine. I did too, but I, I don't think it is. I don't think it is either. Yet the house is it the house next door to Lorraine's? Because like, okay, so the original thing that happened before Marty gets involved is that George falls out of the tree and then gets hit by Lorraine's dad driving the car, who then brings him home, and then that's the where it Florence all starts. Nightingale yeah. syndrome. Lorraine nurses him back. Then they're in love. But what happens now is George falls out of the tree, hits marty who pushes george out of the way yeah to save his dad but once lorraine's father hits marty he then is calling over to the house for his wife yeah so he's like right in front of his own house and the way that that's framed and shot it seems like the house he's yelling towards is the house that george was just peeping into but well maybe it is supposed to be lorraine but it doesn't really seem like it's her though yeah but i don't know it feels like an older woman I know we don't get a full view, but <laughs> a ninety-eight-year-old woman—it's <laughs> Lorraine's mom. <laughs> George has like a very specific fetish. That's right. I guess it doesn't really matter, other than you know when I first saw this movie, I always thought it was Lorraine, but now yeah. I'm kind of thinking it's not. There's also some who weird is, implications. If it is Lorraine, he's been like spying on her while she changes. See, within the same movie, though, he acts like he doesn't really know who she is. Yeah, kind of. I don't know. He, you feel like there'd be like more of a connection to her being this. Special. But apparently, it's like clockwork when this chick gets changed in this window because <laughs> he had George, to run out of yeah. that diner. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really sure. I mean, I, I understand the appeal of being a peeping tom. Obviously, you're seeing like a naked woman, I guess. But it's not like he's like jacking off. I'm really <laughs> in a tree in broad daylight in like the suburbs. Oh boy. Yeah, I don't know. Wow, it's, it's like a very strange thing to do. I mean, I don't know. I'm not really sure what you do with the... I mean, I guess no internet porn. Yeah. No, I'm not excusing the behavior. Don't get me wrong. But I mean, I'm just like... I'm trying to figure out like what would possess someone to do this yeah, I, in the middle of the day. I guess he goes home and thinks about it later. That's the only thing I can... <laughs> I don't know. Why don't we think about that for a while? What, what do you think he does? You think he, he goes right into a sock or... Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Is he a tissue man? It was the 50s. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't a lot. <laughs> there just wasn't a lot yeah that's true you had to make do i guess yeah. some people took it to a a dark place <laughs> an unfortunate place yeah <laughs> so now marty has fucked up 
the meeting of George and Lorraine and inserted himself into this story. Just making things. I mean, I think where this goes with Marty and the dynamic with his mom is just like, this is a, a lot of therapy sessions in the future. Yeah, it's surprising when you go back and watch stuff how much incest actually does factor into things. <laughs> That's it's what, always yeah. on everybody's mind really? all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Evidently. Seriously. Mom? Is that you? You're there now. Just relax. You've been asleep for almost nine hours now. I had a horrible nightmare. And I went back in time. It was terrible. Well, safe and sound now, back in good old 1955. 1955? You're my mom. You're my mom. My name is Lorraine. Lorraine Bates? Yeah. But you're, uh, you're so, uh, you're so thin. Just relax, Calvin. You've got a big bruise on your head. Ah. Where are my pants? Over there. On my hope chest. I've never seen purple underwear before, Calvin. Calvin, why, why do you keep calling me Calvin? Well, that is your name, isn't it? Calvin Klein? It's written all over your underwear. Ah. I guess they call you Cal. No, actually, people call me Marty. Oh. Pleased to meet you, Calvin. Marty. Clyde. Do you mind if I sit here? No. Fine. No. Good. Fine. Good. A, a big bruise you have there. Ah, Lorraine, are you up there? Oh my God, it's my mother. Quick, put your pants back on. So Marty's knocked unconscious by the car. He awakens to find himself tended to by a younger version of his mother, Lorraine. There's just nobody better than Leah Thompson. In the I know. 80s. At this point, she had been in all the right moves. Oh yeah, nude. In that mm -hmm. unbelievable, <laughs> what? Are I'm not going to disagree. No, with that? no, no. I <laughs> just love your really passion. Been in sometimes that many movies to this point, yeah. she would go on to have like a pretty good run, I guess, throughout the '80s. Lorraine is instantly infatuated with Marty, acting in a way that completely contradicts her claims that she was making back in 1985 about the type of girl that she was. She <laughs> she doesn't like Marty's girlfriend Jennifer because Jennifer calls the house. Which oh yeah. It's definitely like a, an old fashioned thing which clearly doesn't exist now, but it was definitely like a thing like girls were not really supposed to like be forward at all. Go after boys. Yeah. Even if it was like your boyfriend, you weren't supposed to be the one like calling ever because girls yeah. weren't really allowed to be like sexual in any way. Was that all. really a thing still in the 80s or just the fact that she comes from the 50s? Probably a little bit of both. Okay. I think the holdover of that mindset was yeah. for people that probably had like grown up in the 40s and 50s and True. 60s a little bit. And then it was gradually starting to change to the point where someone like Jennifer 
would not really think twice about calling Marty her boyfriend. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> not even just like some random boy, but just like you know, someone she's been with, I guess, for a while. Someone who will be her future husband, <laughs> yeah. according to the the movies. As viewers, we understand Marty has fucked up the Lorraine George origin story, which is also his and his siblings' origin story. It's like a partial error, though. It only has like partial impacts because just your brother's not existing right now yeah and i don't understand the logic of the picture and why. yeah right i mean the, obviously they just create some stuff to be effective for a visual so, and in that the movie. like it introduces like the ticking clock it's a race against time now and he this photograph <laughs> is the hourglass because it's slowly fading away to the point that he's gonna start fading away yeah you would think though, this is that... like a christopher nolan movie with how much time stuff is going on <laughs> you, know? you would think though that it would be all or nothing. Like once it's fucked up, he would just disappear. I know. Well, I agree. It yeah. wouldn't be this gradual like fading. Because <laughs> <laughs> I guess there's going to be so many opportunities for the same events to still happen, even if you like mildly fuck one up. But it is weird to think that like one sibling wouldn't be in the mix. <laughs> yeah, because what if it had been him? Right. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't Marty who went back in time. Yeah. He's, like, he just, he's running around with, without a head. <laughs> it's 45 minutes in, the movie's over. <laughs> it is a little bit like It's a Wonderful Life. That's true, yeah. I mean, the whole point of it is different. I mean, it's not exactly... Marty was having a fine life in 1985. He's not like he's depressed about himself. No. It's more about his family, but... Yeah, the whole thing of it cuts to this potential future and it's like George is just it's just a grave because he has killed himself and <laughs> yeah. Biff is married to Lorraine in like a real seedy relationship. Oh which yeah. You do see which a we little see, of, a little of in part two. By the way, not a lot of concern for concussion protocol or neck injuries no. in 1955. He gets hit by a car. It seems like he hits his head on the street. Well, and they're like, yeah, like the first let's thing they say is up. like, yeah, well, not, <laughs> let's lift him up. And then it's like, don't let him fall asleep. Or like, if he does, wake him up every two hours. And she's immediately like, you've been asleep for nine hours. <laughs> <laughs> we actually assumed you were dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no blue tent. Do, do we need to say anything further about his little brief time here with Lorraine's family? We see the older brother from Wonder Years is Lorraine's younger brother. You know what I was thinking when we were watching that, too? The discrepancy between how good movies looked and what like the resolution and look of TV was. Because uh-huh. to me, by seeing like a certain actor on screen, you're just like, wow, this looks like so much sharper than what you remember the Wonder Years looking like. <laughs> And, like, he's older in the Wonder Years, obviously, than he is. Well, they probably shot the Wonder Years on, like, VHS tapes. (laughs) They recorded over whatever rerun they were watching in that scene in Back to the Future. (laughs) Yeah. Marty escapes Lorraine's family, which, I mean, that scene could not be any more awkward for him. I mean, his mom's basically, like, jacking him off under the table. I know. The scene from Wedding Crashers. She's, like, pulling his underwear off. (laughs) It's supposed to be funny, and you're supposed to kind of laugh at the hypocritical nature of Lorraine, but it's also kind of liberating to be like, yeah, maybe she sold out and bought into the company line of, like, women shouldn't be sexual, but the truth of the matter is she was all horned up. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) She was all ready to go in 1955. But here's the thing, like, what Marty doesn't know during these sequences is, like, he's just making it so much worse by pushing her away and, like, not giving into this. I mean, he's just making that fire burn <laughs> even brighter. Marty manages to track down 1955 Doc and is able to convince him 
that he is from the future by recounting Doc's own story of how he invented the flux capacitor on that very day. Because that is the day That's that right. Doc put into yes. the thing. <laughs> Doc oddly remembers exactly the day that he re- invented time travel. That was a monumental day. That's true, yeah. Took him 30 years to get it right. But right. I do think it's interesting, I guess, that Doc keeps saying gigawatts, which yeah. is a way that you used to say it. Okay. But now no one says it like that anymore. I think it's just gigawatts. I don't know. I was gigawatts seems right to it. me, but yeah. I don't know. It's just an like an old-fashioned way of saying it. It's not necessarily okay. wrong. It's just dated. Not a lot from me on so that So they one. need 1.21 gigawatts, which can only really be created by a bolt of lightning, and it just so happens <laughs> yeah. that... Doc immediately is kind of like, all right, well, you're stuck here. <laughs> gives up immediately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Marty just so happens to have a flyer for saving the clock tower, and he's like, look, this is an exact time that lightning's going to strike, and it just so happens to be like a week from now. Yeah, so. which sets up an interesting plot for the movie because now he's just got a week to hang out. Yeah, and the plan essentially is, okay, we're going to find this conductor thing. You'll be able to drive the thing past it. We'll use the bolt of lightning as a way to generate enough power to send you back to 1985. But then Marty basically admits that he's already fucked up stuff between his parents that might have future ramifications. And so Doc is like, well... I did think that you just needed to hide out at the house and not leave, but now we got to fix this. <laughs> it makes you think of like the butterfly effect because like well, the theory of that, because you're also like, how much more can they go out there and fuck up? Yeah. At this point, it's not just like one little thing. I mean, he's done major things. You would think that in addition to him already not existing, which should have been a given right away, he would have probably like change so much of the future like i've pointed out though they mostly just do this stuff for laughs like he right. ends up on the two pines farm and he kills one of the trees and then at the end of the movie it's the lone pine mall instead of the twin pines mall and stuff like that yeah, yeah. but because everything's kind of done as like a wink or a joke or like hey here's a little detail of something that gets changed just for fun right but the reality is under the theory of something like the butterfly effect i guess would be like it would be so much different because it, it sets off a chain of events that gets bigger and bigger and bigger until ultimately we have a completely different president in 1985 or something. You know, yeah. it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Or America entered a, to think a war about. in 1982 that destroyed the world, and so you come back and there is no world. So, you know, something Oof. insane. Yeah. Everything with time travel, though, I mean, is obviously hypothetical. I mean, nobody really knows how any of this would work. Yeah, <laughs> because that, that's a funny part I in think, part two where he's like, you don't know what's going to happen. Everything <laughs> could humanity could cease to exist. And then Elizabeth Shue just faints when she sees herself. Yeah, right. <laughs> and you would think that this is enough evidence that if we were ever to be able to do this, I don't think we should. <laughs> Feels like there's a lot of room for error. Matt weighing in on the time travel debate. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> firm no. Yeah, I just don't think it's a good idea. It gives me anxiety. Marty takes out the photo, finds out that his siblings are being erased from existence. It sets up this time limit to fix things. So Doc takes Marty to the high school. The high school's in much better condition. Strickland is still there. Marty is going to come up with a way to try to introduce George and Lorraine. Lorraine just not having it. Another thing not that interested. just like, do you really want a part of this? Like you're trying to hook your parents up? Well, what a choice does he have? I know. Yes. There's no him. way to back yeah. out of all of this. Yeah, I mean, this is such an elaborate, confusing concept that you would probably have that, like, 
loss of reality in your mind where you would start thinking this has to be a dream because it's just too insane i think like people's brains would start protecting them from themselves in a situation this fucked up i guess and they would just start thinking this isn't real this isn't real because it's so something that none of us would ever experience because nobody's ever time traveled before but if this did happen i think you would start to just be like this can't possibly be real my siblings aren't disappearing from a picture but, I mean, here's the thing. Marty's like, I mean, the odds are against him here. I mean, if he knows anything about the female condition and women in general, listen, she's not going to be interested in this nice dude that's just, like, in her face. So, I mean, luckily, Marty's like, we're going to have to trick her into it. <laughs> I was just thinking about the absurdity of that picture even existing. Because <laughs> if him and his siblings disappear, like, the whole concept is that it's just a picture of, like, nothing, like trees. <laughs> I'm like, well, then why would anyone have taken this picture? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Time travel's fun. It is, really. George I guess is if like you don't com- have kids, you got to take pictures of something. <laughs> trees. Yeah. Nothing. George is a lost cause, though, which is very relatable. He's just really having a rough time getting it together. I know, and I love Marty's like constantly trying to like pump him up and be like, listen, man, you just got to go for it. You got to go just talk to her. You got to ask her to this dance, and George is just like, yeah, but, like, I don't think I could handle the rejection. Like, if she says no, I just don't think I could ever come back from this. And it's like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> can you imagine asking this chick out to the dance and she's like, yeah, thanks, but no thanks? I don't know. I don't think I'd be over it. Yeah, Marty's trying to basically pull a Cyrano de Bergerac. He's, like, writing him things to say. George is not really pulling it off. But also, at the same time, Marty's always trying to, like, oversee it. So he's always around. And then inevitably Biff gets involved and tries to fuck with George and Marty keeps besting Biff and making Biff look like an idiot, which culminates in the scene where he sends him into the manure, which is a recurring thing throughout the trilogy. And this just gets Lorraine all hot and bothered. I mean, he's making it worse by being like this badass being the hero, yeah. I mean, all of this together, like Marty's showing up wearing purple underwear, wearing (laughs) clothes no one's ever seen, talking in a very confident way, and then also handling this bully. This bully that already has gotten very handsy with Lorraine right in the high school cafeteria of all places. And he's Yeah, I mean, there's certainly a lot of stuff that doesn't play well for like the Me Too era. Right. And so he's like constantly embarrassing the bully and being like this heroic figure plus you add on even the guitar performance at enchantment under the sea dance and it really just proves a long-held theory about coolness absolutely how if you went back in time with the information you have now how cool you could seem (laughs) yeah (laughs) it seems so easy for marty to be like the coolest guy in 1955 i know it's like fucking footloose for him back in (laughs) 55 Oh, man. While Marty tries to correct his parents' history, he also tries to warn Doc of the future dangers, i.e. the Libyan terrorists. (laughs) But Doc refuses to listen to any information about the future. I do love just the whole storyline, including Libyan terrorists. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. In a post-9-11 world, would we see any sort of nationalist Well, they probably would... They'd probably go PG the, movie. the Russia route or okay, something. Yeah. Somebody like not Middle Eastern. Right. Doc believes no one should know too much about their own destiny. Kind of tacking on a little bit to the whole butterfly effect thing. Thinking that if he knows too much, then he'll try to change things. And then that will have huge repercussions on the future. Oh, yeah. And send a ripple effect of change that could fuck everything up. I don't know. Again, it's just like theoretical. 
Lorraine tracks down Marty at Doc's and tells him she wants him to take her to the dance. And I thought it was actually very hilarious that when they open the garage door and Lorraine comes in, that Marty says, hi, mom. (laughs) I was like, this is the original hi, mom. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, I mean, Doc is just kind of like lingering around watching this, clearly has some sort of an incest fetish, Ew. really kind of amused by the whole thing, even though presumably Marty's he life is at stake. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't really show you Marty accepting the invitation, but it does cut to Marty and George it's at ca- George's well, house concocting a plan. Lorraine is like so putting on the press that it's just like, you just have to. I mean, at what point do you just give in to it? Oh, well, he does. Fucking the shit out of her. I mean, basically, I mean, (laughs) as you're disappearing. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it would have gotten to that had she not backed away once she initiated the act. Yeah, I've always heard that there's like, (laughs) you know what? (laughs) What is this? Well, I just think there's like some. (laughs) Oh, here we go. We knew we were gonna get here with this. (laughs) Oh boy. I don't know. I, I mean, I assume this is probably from like Reddit or something. <laughs> I've always heard that there's like yeah. some sort of like a biological. Okay. I don't know if it's like. <laughs> I can't even say it. <laughs> we all knew it would get to this. I mean, I think there's like some sort of a biological impediment that makes people not want to have sex with their relatives. Okay. Like, it's a it's a, I can get behind that yes. like an actual like thing I don't know if it's like a smell that you can't really smell but like some kind of like pheromone thing yeah that like you have it too and your body like recognizes it in yourself and so that's what prevents but know. if you never knew who your relatives were <laughs> that's the thing that is I don't I don't know how this would work considering she's never had a kid yet right so I don't know but so I really mean, they're not related and it's fine <laughs> I know. That's like the mental gymnastics you'd be doing to like justify what you're about to do. Like we're not really related because she doesn't have a kid yet. Oh no. No, I don't know. I mean, you know, not to be like too weird, I guess, yeah. but like, you know, obviously we, like we'll the most to... attractive people, men or women in mm-hmm. the world have siblings, have parents, have kids. And 99.9% of the time, if, you know, an infinite amount of nines after that decimal point. <laughs> okay. They're not attracted to each oh, other. Right. You don't yes, have a bunch yeah. of Lannister situations running around. Right. It's it, actual, like, <laughs> actual consensual ancestral relationships are pretty rare. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that, I guess, is the explanation for what happens in the backseat preceding the dance. Because okay. she obviously knows that she doesn't have kids, but yeah. she kisses but him and just uh, it feels something is it's off. It's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Which that's the thing though. I mean, I feel <laughs> Oh god. I don't know. I'm just thinking to myself like she's like, "Oh, kissing you is like kissing my brother," which, you know, is kind of a commonly used phrase like you'll hear that in movies. But <laughs> I've heard you say it. If yeah, you know. right, but really if you thought that you just kissed your brother, wouldn't you be like throwing up? Well, she doesn't really think that he's her brother. Right. He, she just thinks like there's something it was off, off with it. Yeah. Like it didn't feel right <laughs> because she's been parking she, like, all over the place. Gets out of the car boys. and it's just like sticking her fingers down her throat. <laughs> <laughs> so Marty and George concoct this plan where Marty's going to feign quote unquote 
inappropriate van- advances on Lorraine, which this yeah, part now, of the plan always stuck with me. It's like, well, what was he going to How far was he willing to take it, especially once he finds out that she was very into parking? I know once he does find that out, that's like a curveball that he wasn't ready for. Yeah, even though she's been laying down some pretty heavy clues yeah, well, that maybe the, the 1985 version of herself wasn't really telling the truth, he's still kind of in the mindset of like, well... She's not going to go for this stuff, and that sets up an opportunity yeah, for she's a lady. George to show up. But before he can even like launch into this plan, things kind of get turned on their head. Yeah. He's setting up so George can play the hero. The dance, of course, is on the same night that lightning will hit the clock tower. But once we get to the night of the dance, we find out a lot about Lorraine. She drinks she's brought up she's wild she smokes which is like an early indication of maybe some alcohol issues yet she starts smoking cigarettes yeah and she's you know ready to party <laughs> she's like i thought maybe we could do some hand stuff yeah, before the dance then maybe some mouth on genital <laughs> stuff after this is pretty much like the oc at this point <laughs> you mind if we park for a while that's a great idea i'd love to park huh marty i'm almost 18 years old it's not like i've never parked before what marty you seem so nervous is something wrong no 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 lorraine Lorraine, what are you doing I swiped it from the old lady's liquor cabinet. Yeah, well, you shouldn't drink. Why not? Because you you might regret it later in life. Don't be such a square. Everybody who's anybody drinks. Jesus, you smoke too? Marty, you're beginning to sound just like my mother. Marty, why are you so nervous? Rain, have you ever uh, been in a situation where you knew you had to act a certain way, but when you got there, you didn't know if you could go through with it? Oh, you mean like how you're supposed to act on a first date? Oh, uh, sort of. Well, I, th- I think I know exactly what you mean. You, you do? You know what I do in those situations? What? I don't worry. This is all wrong. I I don't know what it is. But when I kiss you, it's like I'm kissing my brother. I guess that doesn't make any sense, does it? Believe me. It makes perfect sense. Somebody's coming. You caused 300 bucks damage to my car, you son of a bitch. And I'm gonna take it out of your ass. Hold him. Let him go, Biff. You're drunk. Well, lucky what we have here. Yeah, I mean, okay, there's a lot going on at the dance. We see Marvin Barry playing with his band. Eventually, Marty's going to end up filling in on guitar. 
God, Lorraine's dress, though. Whew. Yeah. Listen, Leah Thompson looks good. I'm not yeah. going to dance around that. They, I mean, they always like toy with the idea, too, of Marty acting like he thinks his mom is hot or almost like saying it a couple of times. <laughs> They're really like, yeah. like dancing around the whole like incest taboo a lot in this movie. Under the guise of, like, it's funny. <laughs> like, wouldn't it be funny if you fucked your mom? <laughs> it is weird, though, when you break down, like, what the reality is. Our minds are fixated this on This is the our last show, by the like, way. <laughs> time travel could never happen, so this scenario could never happen. You would never meet your mother as, like, a contemporary at the same age as you. So you kind of are well, viewing we the hope. movie, like, laughing. and Yeah. But the reality of it is, like... It's no different than, like, if Marty had, like, found a shoebox under his parents' bed that had, like, some nude Polaroids of his mom that, like, his dad took and thinking, like, oh, my God, she's so hot. And, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because th- they definitely are, like, he's, he's like, when she takes off her coat and her titties are kind of, like, okay. on display in the yeah. stress, he's, like, humming a, humming a, humming a. That's basically, wow. like, his reaction, yeah. isn't it? I think a little like, bit, huh, yeah. Well, he can't like speak. I know you could interpret that. I guess is like he just doesn't just know the what discomfort. to do. Yeah, yeah, but it's odd though because he keeps saying you're, you're. He keeps saying like that. And I'm like, what is he trying to say? It's a weird thing to throw into the mix. <laughs> I would say it reminds me of that scene from the first season of Glow, where Mark Maron's character has like this whole ridiculous B movie idea about a guy like going in time and fucking his mother or something, yeah. and like. Oh, there's definitely, like, a porn movie version of this. And, like, those dudes are like, oh, you mean, like, Back to the Future? And, like, the joke of it is, like, (laughs) you can't believe that, like, the biggest movie at that time period that's out that everyone's seeing has this insane story that he thought was, like, one of his exploitation B-movie type movies. It's like, wait, what? He wants to fuck his mom (laughs) or whatever? And it's like, yeah. There might be some undertones there. Yeah. Everything goes awry, though, for their plan when a drunken Biff and his pals grab Marty out of the car and get rid of him. Again, this is where this movie takes just a wild turn. I mean, we've already had terrorists, murder, like flirtation with incest. But this is where it just gets completely insane, where Biff is basically just like making a declaration that he's just going to go for a full on rape here. Yeah. And he even like tells his friends, like, beat it. What do you think? This is a peep show or something? Oh, I know. It's absolutely insane, and it's kind of like cavalier the way this all goes. Yeah, it's a it's kind of a dark turn. I do think that, unfortunately, I guess, or whatever, it's just the way that it, it was in this time period where this kind of stuff was not treated with like the seriousness and the right. weight that it probably should have been. I mean, you talk about like a movie around the same time period. Irreversible. No. That was like 99. This was like (laughs) like 16 Candles where there's like a date rape, which is supposed to be like funny. Yeah, that's insane. With Anthony Michael Hall's character and the popular girl. And she's just kind of like, oh, I mean, I guess we had sex, even though she's like passed out or something. You know what I mean? And it's just like, it's supposed to be like, oh man, that's so funny. The nerd fucked the hot chick, but like she was also in a coma when it happened. And I guess like this being a family movie, we know where the stakes are and we know that George is going to be the hero, but it, what if he wasn't though? Yeah. You run into all kinds of problems when you when you look at this scene through the lens of reality. When you're like what is really happening here? What are they really saying? 
it's kind of dark. I mean, you can't really like, dance around it because it's nope. almost like implying that if he succeeds in raping her, then they're just going to be together almost. Wow. They don't come out and like actually It does feel that, like but that's it, the stakes. Yeah, yeah. It's like this is normal because he's the bully is basically how they're treating it. Like It's bizarre. It's not I mean, that she's bad been, like, because he's the bully, and of course this would happen. She's been pretty aggressively like shooing away his advances throughout the movie. Yes. And now he's just like full on going for it. She's not into it. I know that. Luckily, George, still thinking that the plan is in effect, he shows up and interrupts Biff, and Biff gets out of the car. He, like, is in the process of kind of breaking George's arm. Lorraine tries to intervene. She falls on the ground, and George has this heroic moment out of nowhere where, enraged, he swings his other arm and knocks Biff unconscious. Well, yeah, I mean, it's that syndrome of being the person that is just taking shit your whole life, and then you just hit that breaking point and blow up. I've had some of these moments in my life. Hey, you, get your damn hands off. Oh, I think you got the wrong car, McFly. George, help me, please. Just turn around, McFly, and walk away. Are you deaf, McFly? Close the door and feed it. No, Biff. You leave her alone. All right, McFly. You're asking for it. And now you're going to get it. Biff, stop it! Biff, you'll break his arm! Give me a hand, Ow! Damn it, man, I sliced my hand. Who's in these? All right, thanks. Thanks a lot. Gonna break his arm. Biff. Biff. Leave him alone. Let him go. Let him go. Are you okay? What Marty has succeeded in doing is putting George in a situation to be the hero, which changes the course of his and Biff's relationship going into the future, but also sends George and Lorraine back on the right path of getting together. But he's given George like this different confidence and different perspective oh, yeah. by talking him up and then kind of inadvertently putting him into this situation where he gets to be this hero. Not really as clear as to why 
Lorraine's life is so much better in 1985. I guess because George's life is better, which again it, it just maybe had a trickle also down a effect. Yeah, problematic. Where her happiness is so tied to her uh, husband's it's true, happiness. Yeah, she's not really like her own person. It feels but. like young Lorraine is such like a strong, independent presence that maybe George ruined her life. The That's first true. Time yeah, <laughs> she had aspirations, and then George just ruined it. So, so they're headed back to the dance together now, and they're back headed towards this monumental kiss that will happen on the dance floor at the Enchantment Under the Sea dance. So you're like, okay, everything's fixed, but we still have a long way to go. Marvin Berry, the leader of the band, hurts his hand getting Marty out of the trunk where Biff's friends put him in. So Marty fills in with the band, which I guess is the culmination of his guitar fantasies from the beginning of the movie. Okay. They play Earth Angel. I love it. And then... It's all sad. During the Earth Angel performance is is when this movie starts to get weird for me because Marty has seemingly fixed everything. Lorraine and George are dancing together. Now, the guy that cuts in while Lorraine and George are dancing, Uh first of all, it's one of the kids from Children of the Corn. Wow. But also, I don't love the logic here. So this guy cuts in. Yeah. And in that moment that he cuts in, he seemingly, who's not involved with the story at all, just some random loser. <laughs> and Lorraine is clearly shown like not loving it. Right. Like wanting to get back with George. This somehow fucks things up again and Marty starts to actually disappear. Like his yes. hand is disappearing. He can't even play guitar. The pictures like I guess he was gonna woo Lorraine, even though she was initially not into it. But why is the future fucked up if George himself is the one that like two seconds later like gets rid of this guy? And yeah, I don't know. Lorraine didn't want to be it's like I don't think this guy cutting in should have like messed everything up. This part's unnecessary. They wanted to use the effect where Marty's hand was disappearing while he was trying to play guitar. Because what that means to me is that throughout Marty's life, at any given he time, w- yeah, he, it, when anyone was like tempting Lorraine, yeah, throughout like, like the next how, thirty years, like he could be disappearing at various points. The nice uh, cashier at the grocery store said he liked Lorraine's sweater, and Marty's hand starts to disappear. <laughs> So Marvin lets Marty play another song. He launches into Johnny Be Good. Like I it's said, it's awesome. It made Just me want to do this movie. Yeah. Clearly not Michael J. Fox singing. Right. <laughs> it's almost like distracting how much it's clearly not him singing. John, John, it's Marvin, your cousin, Marvin Barry. You know that new sound you're looking for? Well, listen to this. This scene has been criticized a little bit because yeah, yeah. it shows <laughs> Marvin calling his cousin Chuck Barry and being like, hey, this is that new sound you were looking for. Listen to this. Oh, right. So, and it's implying somehow that a white guy yeah, <laughs> yeah, actually yeah. should be credited with this uh, song yeah, yeah. that helps is- create <laughs> rock and roll. Which, of course, is just a paradox. It doesn't uh, make any sense. It's the just only like way a that wink. Marty it's would just know funny. the song. Yeah, right. It's just like the thing with Goldie being a mayor. Now, unfortunately, Goldie also black. I know. Not a lot of great looks. So, yeah, they just keep doing that throughout the movie. But, no, I mean, it's not saying that, whatever. I know. It's just supposed to be funny. Right. The criticism of it, I mean, it's just, I don't think that that's what they were implying. You don't see this as an erasure of black culture and the creation of rock and roll and the credit for who wrote Johnny Beacon. Wow. I just love that people take this stuff so seriously. I, I mean, know. it's just supposed to be funny. And just like this revisionist. 
if anything, you know, it's like a tribute to how important this particular song is. Absolutely. Like they're not doing it with like they could have done it with Jerry Lee Lewis and, and like, it wouldn't have been even as effective. Though, even okay, even though in the context of the movie, we're in nineteen fifty five. The movie came out in the eighties, starts in the eighties. The Marty McFly character comes from the eighties. To me, it always feels like a tribute to Chuck Berry. Yeah, it is. Right. If anything, they picked that to be the thing, to be the song, because it's such an iconic song. Absolutely. And it works so well. It's, I mean, t- come on. I know. People are like crazy. reading any more into that. I know. I mean, come on. It's not like it's some big thing that like tons of people say, but I have seen it come up places and I've just- 12 it. reasons why you shouldn't like Back to the Future. <laughs> All 12 of them are yeah. the same. <laughs> oh, and the rape. <laughs> that's like a separate yeah, supplemental youtube like video just so many things about the racism in this scene and then they're just like yeah then there's a rape too <laughs> reasons you should like it the incest <laughs> as the storm arrives in hill valley marty makes it back to the clock tower just in the nick of time there's some last minute complications yeah this sequence kind of goes on a little too long i know you, just because we're like i feel like we're past the major action yeah oddly you tend to care more about the stuff at the Enchantment Under the Sea Dance, and you just assume that he's going to get back to 1985. Right. Like, that doesn't really feel ever in doubt after he fixes things at the dance. I believe when we did the Back to the Future Part 2 audio commentary, we talked about the Nintendo game. Back yes, to the Future, we did. And trying to, like, do this fucking thing as the last <laughs> level of the game is trying to like do this and how impossible it is uh, they only give you one chance and if you if you don't do it you have to start at the beginning of the game that's what, just video games used to be so like infuriating i know oh the time i wasted trying to beat this back to the future <laughs> game just never able to do it <laughs> unfortunately this isn't a game that i played like 30 years ago this is like 10 years ago well <laughs> but ultimately the lightning strikes and sends Marty and the DeLorean back to 1985, a few minutes before he originally left, because he sets the timer a little bit ahead so he can try to intervene in Doc's murder, That's because right. Doc yes. ripped up the note that he wrote for him. He won't listen to him. <laughs> yeah. Can't get anywhere with trying to explain to Doc what's going to happen, so he tries to go back a little bit early. Unfortunately, though, he doesn't account for the fact that the DeLorean seems to break down every time you time travel, That's so right. yeah. once he gets back to... 1985 i love like that he's back in town the libyan nationalists like drive by him yeah. in town yeah the town is like definitely a set right I mean, yeah it doesn't for really sure look like a real right. place but yeah there's like now on the marquee at the theater there's like porno titles and right. stuff yes. like it is really like a dystopian version of 1985 already yes that's what i mean yeah <laughs> It seems like Zemeckis and there always and seems company to be were really trying to paint like a a dark underbelly to yeah, it. Yeah, like this place is kind of shitty. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't really get into it, but yeah, when you look at the details in the 1985 version, you're kind of like, well, Marty's commenting like on how much place. better things are in the 50s. Well, he's there. <clears throat> well, that was one thing that they loved to do in the 80s was that's true. Idealize the 50s. Yes, there's a lot of the 50s material in the 80s for some reason. Things are cyclical. Marty tries to make it back to the mall in time, but he's too late and watches Doc get shot again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's very traumatic. He has to live through that twice. He watches himself vanish back into the past this in is... the DeLorean, which is kind of cool because I don't really think they had done stuff like this very much to this point. No, where you, yeah. Like a re-seeing the cool. same scene from a different perspective. And the, then they end up basically doing that for so much of part two. Yeah. Which is cool. 
when they do Should it. Should I run through my thing again? Yeah, please. <laughs> it would have been better if in part <laughs> two they focused way more on the future in 2015. It seems like they spend so little time in 2015. Right. Because that, that was like the big tease. In the original theatrical run, they did not have the words to be continued on the screen. But then when they re-released it into theaters and then they released it on VHS, they literally put to be continued at the end of part one. Gotcha. So the big thing, and it took four years. It it was 1985 and then 1989 is when part two came out. Oh, wow. So people were really anticipating this future. And then it's over very fast. Oh, yes. Right. And then the alternate, like you could have definitely split the future and the alternate 1985 a lot more and then end on a cliffhanger where in part three is when you have to like redo the stuff from the 50s yeah because at that point then it's two movies have gone by i don't know it just felt it felt like it happened very fast to like be redoing the 50s stuff already and just get rid of the wild west altogether yeah absolutely okay now i I like it that we talked about that's the way the way it should have been now this is the part that trips me up a little bit because it's like he is now existing in the same time as another Marty McFly for the first time. Yes. And you are wondering what happens to the Marty McFly that's in the DeLorean and goes back to 1955. Because now there are two. Since he didn't come back, if he would have come back after this time period, I think everything works out. But now there's two existing in the same plane. Yeah, but he's he's already... I don't. Know. I got it, yeah. yeah I, I mean, there's no scenario... Right. In reality, as far as I could ever believe, where you could actually be somewhere twice at the same time. But under the logic of this movie, that happens a lot. Yeah. It's like you're on a straight line. Right. But time is a circle. Yes. <laughs> it's like in uh, Stranger time Things. Is like a... pulls the paper out and like shoves a pencil through it. Yeah. Like, See? T- Don't you get it? <laughs> time is an illusion that helps things make sense, but we're always living in the present tense. That was yes. from Adventure Time. All right. Under that theory, like the stuff that's happening in 1985 is happening, and the stuff that's happening in 1955 is happening, and his entire life is all happening at the same time. But he's only yes. on a straight line, and the straight line has circled back. And okay. Cut. So he's still on that same path there. But the trick would be if he came back early and fucked himself up from going back in time. Right. Then okay. he would have never warned Doc. Because uh, as we're about to find out, Doc did tape the letter back together and wore a bulletproof vest. Yes. But if he stopped himself from going back. Lucky no headshots. To the past the first time somehow, then he would have never. (laughs) Yeah, everything would get fucked up again. But those are like the fun little what ifs that kind of inspire time travel movies in the first place. It's like, well, what if this happened? And like, what would that affect? And what would happen if, you know. So I don't know. I mean, I don't think there's any like right or wrong answer because no one's ever time traveled as far as we know. Point. So yeah. who knows? Yeah. So who's to tell me? <laughs> the bulletproof vest thing kind of reoccurring as well because that will come up in Back to the Future Part 3 after he also watches in Part 2, Clint Eastwood do it in a movie and then he does it in Part 3. Ah, yes. So this is the first time that we get the bulletproof vest. Doc takes Marty home. After this all plays out, when he pops back up, not really that concerned about what happened to the terrorists because it didn't really seem like they died. They crashed into the thing, right? The photo hut yeah. thing. But, like, I was expecting, like, their own little missile or something to go they off. They just, like, but, like, Doc just walks up with that revolver and <laughs> caps them both in the head. <laughs> yeah, they're just kind of like, well, that's taken care of. They crashed into a photo hut. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's the whole gang. And they never come back up in any of the other movies, right? No. I think they decided to go away from like terrorism as being a main plot point. 
So this is the full circle of the salvation of the McFlies because now when Marty returns to his house, his father is self-confident and successful. His mother fit and happy and not drinking. Biff is actually the loser now, I guess. He's waxing George's cars. The thing that strikes me here, though, is that the McFlies have all succeeded more in life and are more happy and are better off right yet essentially everything is still kind of the same like well, they live was, in the same house what i was thinking about this is like if you're marty now it feels like what do you know of your life i know your life is your life different. what really ha- yeah it, it would just be because that, I, I thought that when jennifer shows up here at the end where it's like well would you still be dating jennifer it seems like everything would be different now. yeah that's which is what i mean because they make it a point to be like look at these nice cars that everybody has in the mcfly house right and yet they live in the same girls house. would be like falling out of trees to like go on dates with marty with this it family. just seems like not enough has changed but they wanted to keep it simple yeah obviously and just get to the point as marty reunites with jennifer Doc reappears after having gone to the future with the DeLorean, insists that they have to return with him to 2015 to aid with their future children. Something's gone wrong. Yeah. They put some trash in it. The two board the DeLorean, which now runs on Fusion and can fly, and then they travel to the future, thus setting up Back to the Future Part 2, Yep, which we already did an audio commentary on. And I so think you can like a, go back in time to listen yeah. to that episode. I think it's a pretty strong sequel. Absolutely. I agree with that. I'm not sure if it holds up as well as it did when I was a kid. Because when I was a kid, I was so blown away by the future, by the alternate 1985 with in Biff World, and then also going back and redoing the 50s stuff all in one movie, that to me, it just blew me away and was kind of superior almost to the first movie. Yeah. I don't know if I ever really thought about it, like one versus the other, but I was always excited when part two was on. That's I was true. Definitely I feel like this is got all the cool. They do squeeze shit a in lot it. into one movie. Yeah, like the hoverboard stuff and the sports almanac stuff. I mean, there's just like a lot of cool stuff in part two that makes it really pop. Part three, I've seen that one the least amount of Same. times. I remember certain parts of it very well, but other parts of it not so much. Yeah, it almost. Uh, yeah, I mean, you already walked through it, but one thing that jumps it out feels to like me, they could have made two spread out into three, yeah. and if you do the stuff with the West, make it just very minimal. Now they filmed two and three at the same time, right? And then came, they came out a year apart. I think part three came out in nineteen ninety, but I don't know. They seem happy with what their their choices were for the trilogy. I guess they really wanted to like jump into another time period altogether, just to like really sh- shake it up, but. I don't know. It comes off as a little bit like almost not canon. Yeah. It's like a fanfic almost. It's like, here's a story that's all well contained and makes sense and it all connects and it all has the same theme going. But like, what if we took those two characters and right. just kind of inserted them into another story? Yeah, hey, hey, that's, and it's kind of like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles trilogy. Oh, in that God. Way. I've never even seen the third the one. The third one where they go back in time. Yeah, I know. Turtles in time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I refuse to see it on principle. In the era of franchises and everything being remade, does this material ever get revisited? Not as long as Zemeckis and Gale are alive. They said that there's no way there's ever going to be like a remake or yeah. anything like that. If they decided to do a fourth one, it would have to be that them would be involved. Tough. It would yeah. be their decision to do it. And who knows what that would look like. Yeah, well, obviously, you know, Michael J. Fox right. doesn't really act anymore. Christopher Lloyd. 
Yeah, he's almost like a uh, hundred years old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't really see them doing a fourth one anytime soon. So I I don't know. I mean, yeah, eventually will we be alive for a, either a remake like or a, a reboot, reboot or yeah. something? It'll probably happen someday, but maybe it'll have to be after Zemeckis and Bob Gale are dead. Right. <laughs> we don't really have an equivalent to Back to the Future now. No, yeah. There's really like no original thing that just kind of comes out of nowhere and becomes a huge memorable thing that right. will last forever. Yes. You know? We do feel like we're lacking in that department these days. Okay. The movie's fun. It's like two hours and it breezes by. Yeah, absolutely. It, it does. It moves at a very good pace. And you're ready to just jump in the right. two. Because so absolutely, often growing yeah. up, it was like all three were on TV in one yes. night or something. <laughs> okay, well, this had to be a pretty long episode, I would Yeah, think. let's do recommendations. What are you doing? What? What? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. This counts as a 2019 movie, right? The one I'm about to do? I don't know what one you're going to do. Uncut Gems? Yeah. Yeah. So We saw it in 2019. I, it's hard for me to remember. <laughs> I don't know. My life has been a blur. <laughs> but yeah, the Safdie brothers... Certainly, uh, we enjoyed Good Time, and then this was their follow-up to that. Yeah. Just a wild movie, anxiety-driven oh, for yeah. me. They Holy definitely shit, trade like, in anxiety. That's their style. Yeah, but just cool, uh, the, a gritty look to it, having Kevin Garnett play himself, uh, some weird casting in it. Adam Sandler is great in it, playing not really an Adam Sandler character. Yeah, and it needed to be Sandler or someone like him, I think, because... His character does things that are so hateable that you need to almost come in with like, it's like goodwill you, built up for this person. Because if you start why at zero, are you gonna root for them? Yeah, if you start at zero, like you're a, a regular person you don't really know or don't have any feelings about everything I mean, he does, you would hate shitty. him immediately. Yeah. But uh, instead, you're kind of invested in it the whole time. The soundtrack is incredible. I love the music. Yeah. It's really good. It, it's it's on a lot of people's end yeah, of the year list. It, I, I think we'll probably see it on both of our end of the year list. It was really cool. Certainly, that's a directing team that I'll be looking forward to more of their work as we move forward. Yeah, they were going to do a 48 Hours remake, and then when they were working on it, they just ended up writing a script that was so different that they're not. they just dropped out. Oh, wow. <laughs> so like trying to write a 48 Hours remake led them to just write something completely different, and then yeah. it became something else, and so they're not doing it. All right. Which is better. I mean, I'd rather people just come up with new stuff. Absolutely. Not every great filmmaker needs to be roped into like a pre-existing ip like it's it's just not necessary but yeah i would definitely recommend uncut gems as well do you have more than one or just uh no that's that's it for this week for me my first one is a movie that came out in 2015 called the final girls oh yeah which i showed to matt back in like 2015 he didn't really seem that impressed with it but uh, i rewatched I, it <laughs> i kind of uh i i, I really like the premise i, I kind of thought i was gonna like it more than i did at the time but would be interested in watching again it's not like a perfect movie but it's still very for whatever reason i, just, I rewatched it and it still hit me really hard yeah. emotionally for some reason i just really buy into it i can't I, like explain I said, it because i know yeah. that it's not like it's not super funny and you kind of think the premise could be done a little bit better, but... Because I love the idea for it. The concept is Malin Ackerman plays 
Tasia Farmiga's mom, and her claim to fame was being like in a slasher movie. And she's this struggling actress afterwards. She never really could get it together. She's a single mother. She dies in a car accident. Like a year or two later, Tasia Farmiga's character gets roped into some special screening of this movie from like a friend's brother who's like a nerd. He's played by like Thomas Middleditch. Oh, yeah. She doesn't really want to do it, but she kind of gets talked into it. And at the screening, like a fire breaks out in the theater, and then somehow her and her friends, including Alia Shawkat and yes, Nina Dobrev, I think is her uh, name, yeah. Dobrev, I don't know, a series name. of recognizable people and uh, others, they kind of get sucked into the movie, into this like camp Slash movie that's movie, supposed yeah. to be like Friday the Thirteenth adjacent. So she gets to like have this experience with her mother, who's not really her mother, or even a younger version of her mother. It's because it's actually the character. Yeah, it's it's like the characters are real people or something. I don't know. Usage of yeah. Betty Davis eyes, the song. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It just really gets okay, me. I'm in. Yeah. There's some really affecting scenes between Ackerman and Farmiga in the movie, the fake movie that they're in and stuff. I really enjoy it. It, I'm only recommending it just because it doesn't really seem like a lot of people know it. Now, unfortunately, it's only really available on Blu-ray or to rent on Vudu and Prime, although I think it's only $2.99, unlike a lot of the other movies that are like $3.99. So you can't really stream it anywhere for free unless you have Freeform. Oh yeah, which I guess is a cable channel, right? It is, yeah. I think it must it used be to on be like demand ABC or Family is what it became. I well, think. when I searched it on Roku, it said if you have a subscription to Freeform. Wow. Which I don't know if Freeform has its own streaming service, so I'm assuming that's if you have cable. Maybe it's on demand or something. I don't okay. Know. Wow. My other recommendation is in theaters now, like Uncut Gems, and that would be Bombshell, directed by oh, yeah. Jay Roach. I do want to see this. Is this going to be in my top ten? No. Not even close. Wow. But it is enjoyable. It's kind of like the big short. I love the trailer for this. The trailer made me really want to see it. Yeah. One thing that I think hurts the movie, but also makes it entertaining as far as like watching it. Like in, in terms of it being a great movie, it's hurt by this. But in terms of like it being kind of funny to watch is the weird tone of it where they want you to treat this sexual misconduct at the heart of it, which for people who don't know what bombshell is, it's about the Roger Ailes story who ran Fox news and like the sexual harassment suit that was brought against him and all that stuff. I think they did a thing on Showtime where Russell Crowe played Roger Ailes, like the loudest voice in the room or something like that. Yeah. Same story, but this is a movie with Lithgow playing Roger Ailes. So the thing that's weird about it is they obviously want you to take sexual misconduct seriously. This is very much like a Me Too style movie. Even in the movie, at one point, they kind of do different tricks and stuff, kind of like the big short advice where people talk to the camera or different things like that. And they have like the real victim speak at one point in the middle of this movie. But at the same time, there's stuff in this that's definitely supposed to be funny. Yeah. And it plays mostly like a comedy. That's what it felt like from the trailer to me. Movie, a comedy with tension in it. A lot of the joy from the movie is the weird work atmosphere behind the scenes at Fox News. And yeah. they, they'll have like different people coming in and out that are supposed to be like Bill O'Reilly or Sean Hannity or, or whoever. And so you have different people playing all these guys. Like Richard Kind is playing Rudy Giuliani in a wow. in completely insane yeah. performance. That seems like, like, where like cartoony. Just like, yeah, it's very cartoonish and weird at times. Margot Robbie off the charts attractive in this sure movie. when is she not 
she wins the award for hottest woman yes. in movies in 2019 between right. this and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I would recommend it though as kind of an entertaining little diversion. It's not it's okay. not too serious and and like I said, I mean it, it's not going to make my top 10 or anything like that, but All right, I want to see it. It's kind of fun. Yeah. All right, so that'll do it for Back to the Future. We're back 2020 in full effect. That's true. We'll keep tearing through these. So stay tuned for our next episode and keep an eye out for those best of 2019. Yes. Give us a second. We our, can't our, wait. <laughs> besides Greatest October, maybe the biggest moment of the year for us. That's true. In a way. We love those, to I give think. our lists. Yeah. <laughs> we want somebody to hear our lists. That's a good point. Anybody. Yep. All right. We'll see you next time. into the, the TV game with a morning show, a superb drama, yeah. A superb drama about the importance of dignity and doing the right thing, made by a company that runs sweatshops in China. So, well, you say you're woke, but the companies you work for, I mean, unbelievable. Apple, Amazon, Disney. If ISIS started a streaming service, you'd call your agent, wouldn't you? <laughs>